0: Hello and
1: welcome to Clergy in Collars getting coffee. Today my special guest is the Reverend Dr. Bruce Levine who's the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Olean, New York. He is a graduate of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary both for his MDiv and for his doctorate in ministry and he's soon so very soon going to be the moderator of the Presbytery of Western New York. He also happens to be one of my godparents, along with Aunt Marlene. So, um others can call him the Reverend Dr. Bruce Levine, but I'll call him Uncle Bruce. So, welcome, Uncle Bruce, to the show. Thank you. <laughs> it's nice to have you here.
0: Yeah, I'm nervous, but it'll work.
1: <laughs> it's good. Ner- nervous isn't, you know, that's courage, right? Being afraid and doing it anyway. So, yep. thanks for modeling courage to us. Um, so, you've been in ministry. You, you did one of those straight from straight from undergrad to right through, I
0: think it's 45 years. I can't remember, but I think it's 45 years.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's, that's my age. So my whole, basically a whole Leah person, you have done ministry. So what have you in that time? Is there anything that you've gone? I wish I had learned this. And, and then also with that, this is a twofold question. What are the things that you think we as pastors now should be thinking of um, as you see things trending in ministry? Because 45 years in ministry, you've seen some trends. So
0: what do I wish I had learned? I think, I think if I had learned plumbing and electrician work and how to keep a church plant going and do repairs and i have this theory it's just kind of a that because there's going to be so few full-time pastors anymore that maybe seminaries ought to be offering vocational training as well
1: oh so we they should be by vocational training schools and you think the trades is the way like like jesus we should become carpenters and teachers
0: Oh, I don't, I don't know, but I just know that the trades are something that always comes up in the church, in terms of practical stuff, and we're we were never trained for any of it.
1: Mm-mm. No, M- most people I know who do it, it was as a hobby, or uh, YouTube has now taught them how to do that work.
0: You can learn everything on YouTube, I think.
1: You can. Now, when I when I was young, we didn't have YouTube, and we had the library. Um, and because um, you know my mom, you know we lived with mom, and she didn't have a lot of money, uh, but we always lived very close to to the library. So she would send us down to the library to get the home improvement books before YouTube. <laughs> um, so that if she couldn't fix it, then we'd have to call somebody. But there was always this moment of going, well, let's see if I can fix it myself before we call call somebody in. And so we'd often get sent to the library to get, I don't know, Bob Vila's home improvement book set <laughs> series or something on this particular um, thing. But you learn a lot in that process. Now, I was I was not the kid who I just would go get the book and then I would leave and go read my own stuff. And, um, you know, my brother Jacob more learned some of those things. <laughs>
0: than I did. It's just not my skill. It's not my talent.
1: Not my not my talent either. But you did mention an interesting thing about so you see the trend, like there aren't going to be as many full-time pastors.
0: Uh, where I am, I think I'll be the last full-time pastor of my church.
1: Yeah. So what, what would then, but there, there's still um, a number of people in seminary. So what do you think the future church looks like if it's not full-time ministry in what we know as a traditional church structure?
0: You know, I don't know. There was, I can't remember her name. Is it Phyllis Tickle? I think. Yes,
1: I mean, that's a person.
0: (laughs) Yes. Who said, said Tribble. Is it Tribble? Tribble. Who said that every 500 years, the church undergoes some kind of radical change. And we're at one of those 500 year points. And I don't know in the near future for my church, I see us linking up with another church and sharing a pastor. Okay because where i'm located it would be very hard to get a part-time pastor to relocate there you know if you're not in a big city it's harder it's hard
1: yeah so you think there's going to be more of a shared ministry in the future for people to do
0: shared ministries and bivocational vocational ministries
1: i feel like i have a number of friends who kind of do some of that now they already you know they they preach or maybe they're a quarter time or half time but then then they're also doing other things in order to you know m- most of it it seems like it's uh teaching or something like that uh in, in addition to the mm-hmm. work that they're doing and and several people doing um more what we call in our system validated ministries right so yeah and that that seems to be, I think, more of what people will do. And of course, in the in the Presbyterian church, we also have the new worshiping communities, which are, in some ways, I think, what are you, tent making? Is that a difference? Like, I sometimes get all confused with the language myself. Tent, tent making,
0: I think that's kind of like bivocational ministry, but with more on the vocation part. And Okay but I could be wrong on that.
1: Yeah, but new worshiping communities, like I've seen some that are basically like they're CrossFit gyms slash Bible yep. studies or yep. biking ministries or like where they get together and they hit the trails on their bikes. And Well,
0: as I was reading the other day um, and I've seen it and I think it's pretty valid. People now don't have a whole lot of faith in the church. Hmm. They like Jesus but the He's church, cool. not so much. Uh,
1: what do you think some of the, what do you think? I mean, obviously in addition to, I think the scandals, whether, whether they yeah. were sexual, financial, whatever, uh, certainly helped people lose faith. Do you think there are other things that helps? Judginess. Do you think judginess. Other
0: judginess? Judginess, I, sure,
1: we, excel, we excel, yeah, sure. We excel at judginess. In the
0: church. Judginess, yeah. Um, and although I know it is important for many people, too much politics, too much involvement in politics, especially um, where so many churches have sold their soul to extremist politics.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a rough one, because sometimes... I I mean that's that's a weird edge. I've certainly been been thought of as being too political in a moment. Um, I try not to do that in the pulpit, um, but sometimes I get confused. I get I'm torn between what that means, you know, um, you know. For instance, these these laws that are coming up in Tennessee that are uh, anti-trans and and the drag and whatever and you know, I have a real problem with those theologically because I feel like it's saying someone isn't a child of God. And that bothers me because I'm like, if God didn't create them, even if they don't believe in God, <laughs> I yeah. do. Right. So if God didn't create them, who are you saying did? Because that's how they were made. They were made that way. Mm-hmm. And, and it's fine. It doesn't it certainly doesn't hurt anybody, but it does hurt them if they're not allowed to be who they are. And, and so then I, Then it's like this weird edge. Is is that considered by some to be too political? Like I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be speaking on Tennessee's drag laws. Or, um, I mean, I don't live in Tennessee, so you know. But it doesn't mean it's not going to influence people in the state of New York, where where we live, right? Um, Or, or is something else seen as too political? Because I always see it as like. like I I can't I'm not going to advocate for a candidate from the pulpit
0: right um but we have to be political in some sense because politics is the way we organize society I mean we need it to keep society organized but I think you can be somewhat political in the pulpit as long as you really strenuously avoid being partisan okay you know um I don't dwell on it because, but in terms of racism and the like, you can talk about some of the problems of structural racism from the pulpit, as long as that doesn't become your whole everything.
1: Right. I I mean, I've heard, I've heard from multiple sources now, uh, multiple people now who've lifted up the idea that really as pastors, we have like three sermons that we, is that right? Like three sermons that we keep uh, preaching about, like three, you know, um, I guess themes. And uh, for some of my friends now, they've said, I I don't even think I have three anymore. I think I just have one, (laughs) like I just have one theme that I keep bringing up. So if you were to think about your sermons and things like that throughout 45 years, uh, what would your, what, what are the, what are the three and, or the one thing that you have constantly preached on?
0: I think, I don't know if it's, con- cause I, I felt a transition in my, my preaching to pretty much now it's our relationship with God or mm-hmm. our relationship with Jesus and how that transforms our life in order to do other work. Even the nasty political work that sometimes you argue that i don't know that i'd choose that if i didn't think that's what jesus wanted me to do okay and that another sermon would be and this is my main one that god loves you and does things and that's supposed to empower you to love other people and begin to see those whose society looks down upon, remember that they're ch- children of God, remember they're God's children and worthy of respect and being treated with dignity. That's probably, yeah. and then maybe we need to spend some more times on our basics like prayer and Bible study too
1: our basics i like how you call them that your basics your practices i i mean because those things matter i was i finished a book not long ago by um james k smith about you know the practices of the church are he talks about the idea of descartes right you i think therefore i am and that that sort of what is that postmodern i always get lost in the words i sometimes i hate all the words but um you know that that idea that we are what we think and he is like no we are those things that we we love and our practices and our actions tell about the things that we love so having practices that are about prayer and and you know study would be some of those actions that would speak about how we love about our, our relationship, you know, to, to hear that we are loved and beloved by God in order to empower us then to go and love others in order to give consistency. Cause life isn't, um, consistent. Um, you know, this, yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, this very, very well, some, some struggles we've shared together as, uh, as members of the same actual family, and some we, you know, I know yeah. that we, we've been through, um, sort of separately. Um, one that I'll, I'll name, I know that impacted both of us, um, and I, and I'm sure, I know influenced your ministry, uh, was the loss of Manda. Yeah, uh, you know, and and for those listening, uh, Manda was my cousin and uh, Uncle Bruce's eldest child and uh and she died suddenly and unexpectedly and um that loss definitely impacted all of us in a great deal and in, in a variety mm-hmm. of ways um but did you find having those practices of prayer and rituals already as part of your life did those help you as I mean, or and continue to help you. It's not like you're done grieving. So well,
0: no, I don't think you ever get finished grieving. Um, I remember when I was in seminary, they were teaching you if you can get through one year, you know, then everything would be all right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's not true. Um, <laughs> I think because I just talked about it the other day in the sermon that it was the support of the church and family and friends they got me through that time because I think the grief was so strong that the practices it's like you're on the couch and somebody says well you'd be all right if you could get off the couch and go to work and I would you know you'd say well if I could get off the couch and go to work I wouldn't be on the couch yeah wouldn't be depressed
1: right right
0: right it it was the support I think that got me initially through that time because as I was looking back on it I think I was numb
1: yeah that's what I I, I've said to people is that first year of grief when you I have discovered when you lose somebody who's that uh close to you and I mean child loss is another level um but it's (laughs) That's how I spent like the first year after my mom was born. That's exactly uh, born. born. It was a year that Atticus was born. The year yep. that my mother died um, is, is numb is the way I said, I spent the first year numb and the second year angry. <laughs> right. And anger was kind of how I re got to feeling all my emotions again. Thankfully that, that season passed, but that's how I, but that first year was definitely going through motions less connected, if not for people kind of constantly pulling me in, as you're saying, to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what would have been. And I was ever thankful for the community of people that I had that helped uh, you know, helped me to be present because it would it would have been very easy to just disappear.
0: Yeah. One of the things I noticed is after maybe a year and a half or two years. I could start to, even in, in my sermons, tell funny stories about Amanda or how she was or things she used to do and say, you know, so that's different.
1: Has, has it changed any of the ways, like, are there stories now, biblical stories that you read or or people of the Bible that you have a different understanding, like that this has helped you have a different perspective or understanding of that you Not that you would have wanted it. You would have preferred to never have that perspective, but.
0: There is a line and I will probably mess it up, but it's from the slaughter of the innocents in Matthew. When Herod wants to wipe out all the children. And it's Rachel is weeping for her children and won't be comforted.
1: Hmm. And that's taken on a whole level, new level of that's really powerful. You just gave me goosebumps, which is not the first time in our our conversation that, that that that's happened. Um, I mean, you've consistently been a person that I've gone to in my life, uh, both for uh, pastoral advice as to how do I do this, Uncle Bruce. Have you ever dealt with this, and how can you help me through it? Uh, but also, you know, as a, as an uncle, as a godparent, so one of the one of the ministries that I, I would say that you and uh, Aunt Marlene, and thus you you taught to your children to do is, uh, and, and your grandchildren, is what I call the ministry of presence. Um, you know, just being present. There is not one, there's not one sort of major marker in my life that, throughout my whole life, that you and and your family have not been uh, present at. And sometimes the presence is, is the card, right? You don't show up on all my birthdays, but there is always a card. <laughs> so you do in some ways, but, but that, that is a very powerful ministry, which sometimes I don't know that we um, do a great job of, of lead of naming that as a spiritual practice, that walking along somebody being present for somebody through their joys through their griefs, through even the mundane yeah is really powerful so that was that something that you innately always did is that something that aunt marlene taught you is that like
0: i think it she taught me <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, she, she's very good like that yes oh, she doesn't miss she doesn't miss anything um uh, she's very she has all that stuff in the calendar she's very good at it um,
0: Oh, she's excellent at it yeah
1: oh yeah she is but but it's a it's a definitely i would say a spiritual practice i have um you know i know ministry isn't one of these things that is nine to five i mean sometimes it's not right it's it mm-hmm. it can be it works on whatever time frame it it wants to. Um, and because of that, I think it becomes more important to have ways to, uh, decompress or to get away or to refuel. What would you say some of those things have been for you in your life? Cause I mean, I could give you a list of things that I've witnessed that you do, but I'd rather hear it from you.
0: Well, in days past, it used to be weightlifting. Mm-hmm. That would really help me get away. Um, music does it now, especially my Jimmy Buffett music. Yeah, but I have like three or four different playlists that I listen to during different times of the day. One of them's a worship playlist for my morning devotions. And then who's on one. that, or let's what's see. on that? Well, let's see. There's some Peter Mayer. Um, I'm trying to think who else that people might, Peter Mayer being the lead guitarist or Jimmy Buffett, um, there's a praise chant that I really like, and I can't, it's a victory chant and I can't remember who the artist is now, but she's she's famous in gospel circles. Then I listen to uh, things like Appalachian Spring or the Four Seasons or the Planets, um, things like
1: that. Yeah. And what, and what, and so music, weightlifting, I like the way you just, you just said this. Um, so I'm going to, you, you didn't just like go casually to the gym and lift weights. You were like,
0: Oh, I, I competed.
1: Yeah. You, you were like a ranked ranked player
0: <laughs> on a low level, on a low level in the state. Of not Missouri. not
1: for my teenage self. Like we were I understand alive. that. I yeah. Understand.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I enjoyed that, but my body just got old and won't do that anymore.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah, it's amazing how that how that happens. Some of those changes you feel like they happened overnight, but they they've been gradual. Just like every you know some like most most things, it's been a more gradual process. So one of the other things that you've always been really good at modeling um, is you're an avid reader. You are a well-read human being. Um, but you don't just read. Like, you you also go through, um, what is it? The not, I was going to say the Feast of the Word, but that's not. It's the Festival of Homiletics.
0: Yes. So I, I do a couple kinds of reading. Um, I, I listen to junky mystery novels. And then I have my morning reading that I do, which um, has right now I'm listening to I'm reading um, of all things Robert's Rules of Order for being a moderator, Um, Amy Jo Levine's short stories of Jesus, um, a guy named Roger Rosenblatt who's really good. He's he's funny, but about aging rules for aging um one of my go-to spiritual guys is ronald rollheiser Um, i listen to him i'm reading a book of his writings right now and what else a history of the old testament short history of the old of israel rather and then um frederick buechner so that's about what i'm reading right now
1: so so I also am a a, poly, a reader, like a polygamy reader. <laughs> it's like the one place I do that same thing. There are some that just do one book at a time, but I generally do like what you're saying. So how, how is it that you do that? Because you don't, do you just do a chapter every day? Do you do as far as the spirit leads you? Like, how do you do that?
0: I sit down. And I think I give myself about an hour, maybe less than an hour, depending on what's going on. And I just read a section of each book each each day, or almost every day. Sundays are somewhat different, but yeah. So I read a section of each book. Um, Trying to do that with the Bible too. I'm reading about six different places, a chapter a day. Okay. Except when I get to I think the 119th Psalm, which if I read that chapter, I'd be there a week or something like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, that's a big chat That's a long chapter, right? It's like the whole alphabet or something. Yeah. Um, and have you always done, has that always been your, the way that you've done reading or, or I mean, read books, your whole?
0: No, it used to be I would do one at a time. But I like this way better. I, I, I don't know where I developed the habit. Um but it, it really became entrenched in me here as something I do every day.
1: Yeah. I mean, that discipline, that consistency of practice is, I I think, a, also a spiritual gift that is really important because it's so easy to let those things go by the wayside if you don't prioritize them.
0: And and you mentioned Festival of Homiletics, which I yeah. think is a great great events of the year for us, Marlene and I, I went by myself the first year and I was so impressed with it. I called and said, I think you'll love this. And we've been going ever since. And,
1: um, we also not, not a pastor. Uh, she's a teacher, but, uh, she is a, she is a theological nerdy as the, all the rest of us. I mean, she loves it every bit as much as her her husband her niece and her brother who were all ordained ministers
0: (laughs) and then we go to Chautauqua too yes which we've done for 20 plus years I think and find that a a great place um it's like what I call summer camp for mind body and soul Mm
1: mm-hmm and w- and when you're there, that you really do all that. You 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 play bridge. You listen to music. You walk around. You take classes. You can kind golf. of play golf. Oh yes, I forgot. I forgot you're a golfer as well. Yes, all the all those things. And you 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 weren't a golfer your whole life, though. This is something you've done.
0: I'm playing more now, or, or a little bit. But I've played poorly my whole life.
1: Okay. And you've gotten, you've gotten your grandson into it. I don't know if Ada Grace has done it with you too, but Miles yeah. is, plays with you.
0: Right over next to me where I'm sitting is um, Ada Grace's small set of clubs, which we're going to, we got a kid set for her. We've okay. got to trade that in for a bigger set because she's, she's, she's just had- sprouted up. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's at the age where they do that and girls of course do it sooner than, and the boys do, but uh Yeah, that's, I mean, that's very exciting. It's nice that you can find activities like that to do with your, that are intergenerational. And that's not the only one. I mean, you do chess with them. You did, there are a lot of games that you.
0: Yeah, we have a a small chess club in in Olean and I go many Tuesday nights when I don't have meetings or something to uh, play chess and play with all ages of people.
1: And do you find that you equally learn as much as you teach in those settings?
0: I'm always learning chess because <laughs> my problem is I can't memorize anymore, or, you know. And there's a lot of memory stuff in the openings of chess and memory is just memorizing. I could do it back in seminary, that's how I passed Greek. I memorized everything.
1: Well, you you didn't you didn't grow up in a Presbyterian background. Uh, Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and uh, yeah, so t- talk about that transition a little bit.
0: Well, you know, the the thing is, I was more than nominally Jewish, I was, I was Jewish, and which is, a, and my, I was raised by my father, essentially, till I was 13. And we would go, I would go to Sunday school, and we would go to temple on the high holidays of, or synagogue on the high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and uh, the like. But growing up in the South, people weren't sure what, in little, what Jewish was because we, we had those dog tags. I've known this is an old thing that only people my age will probably remember, but in case there was an atomic war or something, we all had dog tags on us with our names and our birthdays and our religion and stuff i
1: have never heard that was that just that you grew up in alabama right
0: arkansas arkansas and then I moved to alabama yeah no i don't know but i we all had dog tags
1: <laughs> just in case
0: and people were not sure what mine stood for why well because they weren't sure what jewish was huh. some of them Well, the word we would use now some of them thought it was african-american huh that's not the word they used then
1: yeah 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 not in arkansas right no No, not anywhere actually i shouldn't just i shouldn't just limit it to the south
0: um you know when i tell people i live in new york they think new york city and i tell them to think mississippi (laughs) because we're small
1: yep Um,
0: very conservative
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: wonderful people
1: so that that was until you were 13 and then and then your your father passed away and you were then raised in a completely different house
0: right where the man was jewish and the woman was southern baptist but I, I went, and I was confirmed in the uh, in the temple, which is an interesting thing. I wasn't able to be bar mitzvahed in our conservative synagogue in Little Rock because my mother wasn't Jewish
1: hmm.
0: and never converted, and they had this thing that the bloodline comes through the mother. And,
1: yeah, it's maternal. Uh, yeah. So then,
0: so then, you're thirteen.
1: You had quite a transition. Yeah, my so world I,
0: ended it sort of when I was thirteen.
1: Yeah, you got thrown into adulthood. Uh, though, though thirteen is one of those markers, uh, religiously also a marker of of transitioning into adulthood. But I think back to my thirteen year old self and think, mm mm. Yeah. And I have a thirteen year old who thinks they're an adult. Yeah. And knows as much, but we're like, no, you don't have all the content yet, kiddo, but we'll help you get there. We'll 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 help you build that bridge to transition to uh adulthood. Um but so now you're in a completely different environment. Southern baptist you're right. Yeah,
0: and, but she was just nominally Southern Baptist too, and okay. was nominally Jewish. I was I probably spent more time in the synagogue or the temple the temple than they did or because I went and part of confirmation was that you had to attend, you know, twice a month. And I attended every week at the, the, the services out after football season.
1: (laughs) And then how did you go from there to PC USA?
0: Um, well, Through Aunt Marlene, as you would call her. Through my uh, wife. Your wife. Through my wife. Um, I was interested in religion. I was taking religion courses. I liked them. She basically said, you ought to think about this Jesus guy and didn't push. Okay. And then we started, um, she she was doing a Bible, uh, an independent study rather, on the relevance of the Presbyterian church to the community Hmm. and uh, in in memphis in memphis at college and one of the pastors asked her to uh, come and lead their youth group and so we did that and gotten involved with a small presbyterian church that was pcus at the time and um, so as i tell people that's back when jesus was lord Mm. you know i i I didn't get into the savior stuff till later but but i was baptized at gracewood presbyterian church and you know i would they were asking the questions you know do you consider yourself a sinner or whatever they you know how they do those questions do you renounce sin and i was really brave at the first one and answered very strongly and then just something came over me, and I could barely speak, you know, the other questions, and I was, I was wrong. I thought that when you became a Christian, then you would go automatically to be a pastor, Oh, and once you were a pastor, you would know all the things that Jesus taught. You just tell people, and they would do them, (laughs)
1: because you were how old then? You were young. you 20. Yeah, (laughs)
0: I was a little naive, a lot naive.
1: I like to think I'm still a little naive or a lot naive. Yes. Yeah. But that has not proven to be the case. You didn't, you didn't become a pastor right away, nor did you suddenly everybody listen to you.
0: Neither. <laughs> it, it took me six years to get through seminary.
1: I but, didn't know that. Okay.
0: Yeah. But, and part of it, I think was because I had no church background. You know, everybody else in seminary knows all this stuff about church. I didn't know any of it. You know, they knew what hymns people liked and all that kind of stuff.
1: You you hadn't grown up that way. Right. Right. I mean, you can't. Well, like I. I I sing whatever hymn. I don't care what it is all the time. Um, Some people wish I would just stick to pick a lane and stick to it but I, i'm like but look at one point you learned amazing grace you just have been singing it so long you don't remember learning it but you did learn it it's not like you were innately born with that tune in your in your heart and um uh, i i mean i so i don't I'll i'll do new new hymns and sometimes they they go horribly wrong
0: well i i since i don't do music well i don't read music i have a program on my computer that plays the the hymns in the hymn book yeah and every, but every once in a while i'll hear one i say that would be good but it doesn't translate to organ real well huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we but i i'm i'm really comfortable with um I guess because I am awkward and I've always been awkward, I've always kind of felt out of place. That that the idea of not doing like stumbling and stumbling my way onto a stage, or or tripping and falling on my way there, and whether that's through a hymn or like physically at the pulpit or whatever, I guess it's never bothered me because I've I, I there was a time it bothered me, I I think, um, but I've sort of embraced the fact that I'm awkward I mispronounce words I stumble my way there I don't I don't you know it's not even something I know really well sometimes I'll I'll destroy like the Lord's Prayer I've said it my whole life and I still sometimes will stumble and not just the sins and sins against or debtors and debtors or trespasses like
0: oh you try I, it with without the words in front of you
1: I oh, would I, yeah try. yeah yeah I ha, you Uh-oh. don't even try <laughs> well sometimes i have the words in front of me and i still mess up because i've read the wrong line i skipped a whole line
0: i i my line in worship usually when i make a mistake is next week will be perfect last week i forgot the first hymn just completely just and i started next week and then i just kind of broke up put my head down and said we'll never be perfect
1: (laughs) yeah it's true Uh, but I've embraced the the I I will never be perfect we I'm always just a a work in progress but um but sometimes that has also helped me to you know when I um when I have those moments that like this right um some people I'm better at taking a breath at usually well non-family members i'm always better at like taking a pause with <laughs> than family members um who are really family members that have uh perfected this is a perfection they had they they know exactly which buttons to push of
0: course they've had lifetime of training
1: <laughs> time of training those <laughs> muscles are strong um but but with other people right it's usually like you know, when you, when there's like this resistance or they, you know, there's this encounter that goes awry, I'm much better at taking a breath and a pause and being like, they too are a work in progress. (laughs) They too are a child of God. Let's, let's proceed. And sometimes proceeding means turning around and not encountering them at all. Right. (laughs) And sometimes it means walking along together, but, um, you know, but yes, uh, my never once have we done a a perfect worship service. That it's not a reality. Um, yeah, but there are are things that you well, there are many many things that you do you do well. So you talked about some of the books that you're you're currently reading and some of the music that you listen to, but you also are a television and movie watcher so is there anything right now that you would recommend to people Oh,
0: um i guess i'm eagerly awaiting ted lasso's third season
1: Uh, yes you're a big fan of his
0: right i think i think that's the most fun show on tv there's one that's coming up on netflix it's the second year of perry mason but it's a retelling of the Perry Mason story.
1: Oh, so it's not the Perry Mason. I no, up. it's
0: not the one where I always isn't it a fact that you murdered your wife? And the <laughs> guy says, "Yes, I did it, and I'm glad I did." And now this is this is how Perry Mason became a lawyer and everything. And it's a lot grittier.
1: Okay, so it's like a prequel. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, and you do like the murder mystery stuff.
0: Oh, I am. I like. Yeah, I, I do like my NCIS's, all of them. I like um, Fire Country. I've just become enamored with that, I think. But right now I'm binge watching Criminal Minds. Marlene watched all the seasons and I would never watch it because it was too brutal. But I'm getting to know the characters. And
1: and so that ha- what's Fire Country?
0: Um, it's a story. Uh, let's see how to fire in a a place where there's always fires you know like in a forest area you know um, in California I think it is and I could be wrong on the setting and it's a a place also where there are there's a fire team and then they send prisoners there to work as volunteers
1: well that's a real thing that does happen yeah
0: yeah and and they work as volunteers and it will help them with their sentence and everything else and the interaction between all it's all the characters and their relationships that i love
1: so uh, that's a, that's a theme characters and relationships is a that's what grabs you yes yeah and and you, you have you have quite a few characters in in your life as 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 well um in your in your family that you your chosen family the the family you chose to get in because you married your your wonderful wife uh you've certainly met a lot of characters along the way but do do you find i this is quite a transition but as you're talking about tra- uh characters and relationships um i mean you, you you've talked about some of those transitions that you've had in those moments that you've had. Do you do you feel like that weaving of the story, of your stories, like coming, you know, growing up in the South to the North, being a minoritized person, being Jewish in, in the South, when a lot of people didn't understand even what that meant uh, to transitioning and, and living now, I mean, Missouri, you've lived in a lot of places, but Florida, you've been a Minister, in Missouri now upstate New York. Um, do you find that having those relationships and characters has helped helped you to have a, a a has widened your ability to be in relationships with all kinds of people versus well, this.
0: I yeah, think- but- maybe with a a a slight exception blooming where i'm planted it is the theme and because um i know people have this in just one sense let's just talk about prejudice and bigotry from people have this imagery that it's in the south
1: yeah
0: yeah no it's everywhere Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and and there are also good people everywhere and um so blooming where I'm planted, so I, I I think I've thrived in the South, in Florida, in New York, in Missouri.
1: Right, which are not all, they, they're not all in the same uh, zone growth, you know, planting zones either, right? No,
0: like,
1: they're not. They're not, they, things that grow in one place don't even grow in another. Okay. Um,
0: Right now, I think all those have prepared me for where I am now, which is, as I've told the people here, I think this is where my ministry was supposed to go all along, and everything has been preparation for this. And I'm just, I'm where I want to be.
1: And why do you feel that 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 grounded sense, there versus maybe other places? What's the? Is there- it's
0: it's the relationship and the love of the people
1: they okay. they seem
0: even though it's a tiny church they seem really committed to each other and they feel really committed to each other and it's just a place um that i was supposed to be i think
1: yeah well i mean i i think you do wonderful work there i continue to uh i continue to enjoy the places well you you've helped me to discern a lot in in ministry some things and given me advice about when to let things go I think um, one piece of advice that you gave was about a a church that you you never served and you just interviewed for and um but they wanted you to keep sort of these strict office hours and at the time you had a motorcycle
0: yeah oh I remember that church
1: Uh, yeah so, so you were like, um, no, I'm going to, I, I'm not, I don't want to have strict office hours because <laughs> sometimes what you need is to go ride your motorcycle to, that needs to be your action, act, your prayer and action, right? So you couldn't be in a place that confined and restricted, Um well, I don't know if it's you or the Holy Spirit, Uncle Bruce, I don't know which way you would word that.
0: I don't know, but. I think I remember telling them even even kind of bluntly that's what you may think you want but what you really want is someone that when you need them they will be there.
1: Correct which you are which yeah. you have always and, been. Yeah
0: and you don't want someone who has a strict schedule that says no I can't come because this is this kind of time you know you want someone who if you need them, they will say, "Okay, let me put all this down, and I'll be there."
1: Yeah, and I I think that was, um, that that gave me a new f- uh, framework that I hadn't entirely thought about either. Um, you know, um, about what it means to have, what it means to be there when people need you, and and what things you that have to be put down. Um, and what you know what what can't be put down because there're sometimes that things can't be put put down um but that that's some of the advice i think i i have found really helpful um but you also constantly want to i i i don't know if following the trends might not be the right way to say that but you you your your practices have never been stagnant. Like I'm, you you're you're not a stagnant um person in the stuff that you you do. You it's it is that continual blooming, right? Where you're planted. That that has been the way that I've I've seen you proceed uh in ministry and even in your desire to go. What are some trends I should be paying attention to? Should I be, you know, do I need to learn more about eco justice and and climate change? Do I need to learn more about whatever the thing, womanism, feminism, uh, all all the, this stuff, the, the desire for knowledge has always been something that's been present with you. So was that always, or again, was that just later in life, that curiosity?
0: I think it was later in life. It took me a long time to realize I wasn't stupid you know or 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 dumb you know I, school was not always the best place for me you know
1: that's interesting So people I mean do you ever see people that you went to school with now who if they knew knew you now they'd be like what that kid
0: I think I've seen a couple but but they've all changed you know yeah um you know, so, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure they would think, how did he ever get there? And I didn't always have a positive, you know, relationship with teachers. Um, that's why, I, that's one of the things I'm always talking about is how vital teachers are, because they, they play as big a role, if not bigger, than parents do in shaping how a, a kid views themselves.
1: Well, yeah, because they do. Like my kids spend six to eight hours every day yep. with teachers. And in elementary school, it's the same person almost the whole day long,
0: and I think one of the things that's interesting about that in my grade school experience and especially, and as I didn't have a mother who knew how to advocate for me.
1: Mm. And that makes a difference.
0: It does. You need an advocate, I think, if you're in school.
1: I would say you probably need an advocate, or or you need to be taught how to be a good advocate, right? So some sometimes people will say like, "Well, yeah, this thing," but you know they know better because they're a doctor or they're a teacher. And I was like, nobody knows you better than you, right? Right. So if you feel like something's off you have to tell that so it can be figured out or if you feel like yeah i'm just not getting it like i need more help to understand this but that's hard i mean as a kid it's generally is a parent who would do that advocating for you to be like look my child isn't or my child is right my child needs these things in order to have mm-hmm. equity with the other students
0: yeah i finally i i didn't become really where I was pleased with, I guess my intellectual powers until after seminary, after my doctor of ministry. Even it was really? in, yeah, it was in. I mean, I when I discovered and looking back on it, I was smart enough to get through, but I didn't know that. I, you know, I thought I was, you know, faking people out.
1: <laughs> I was like, "Did you?" Yeah, I was going to say, "Do you think it was all like this accident?"
0: Like yes,
1: yeah,
0: how, how did I get through all this?
1: You should have been a magician. You didn't know you're tricking people so well. And and so it wasn't until then. It wasn't until.
0: Probably. I've done the most blooming in the last 10 years.
1: Hmm. And do you think that is by finally accepting. ex, you know, accepting this what others have always known, what others have, I guess, known about you or have thought about you or.
0: I think it has a lot to do with the church I'm at. Okay. this feeling a place of being comfortable.
1: And, and so that's part of what, right. That then you get to be your authentic self. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. Those moments then when we can like I was saying about being awkward like I claim that as part of my authenticity that's it that's that's a part of who I am and and once I did and not try to hide it or pretend or think I was tricking people into thinking I was cool and failing miserably is is uh is exactly that right once I sort of embraced it then I I I felt like the, the roots went deeper and so thus I could like stand or be a little more confident in the way that I proceeded in the world, and still not knowing everything. I mean, right? But, but accepting that you, <laughs> like, I don't know, accepting that you do have something to give in that moment. Yeah. There, yeah. Like you do have gifts and graces for for that that moment or or knowledge, and sometimes the knowledge is saying, "Yeah, I'll help you figure that out." <laughs> Or or just being being there to witness uh, or walk along um, somebody during that time. So this transitions us nicely to my final question for you, Uncle Bruce, um, which I know you know the Care Bears because your children are my age, Cy and Amanda were my age, so they, they would have grown up with these guys as well, um, is is when we talk about those uh, strengths and those characters that have been with us throughout and about those practices of love, I kind of think of the Care Bears as this symbol of of modeling what that means for us is taking the gift and the graces that we have and and literally shooting it out into the world in order to heal and, and um, you know, be with and be present. So if you were a Care Bear, Uncle Bruce, what color Care Bear would you be? And what do you think the symbol on your belly is? That What is the symbol that epitomizes the essence that is Reverend
0: Dr. I would either be pink or purple. It just depends on the day. Probably pink.
1: Mm -hmm. That's the color I associate with you. Always has been.
0: And my strength would be, well, it's also my greatest weakness too. Is loyalty, loyalty. Mm.
1: And what, how does, how, how would you, how would you draw loyalty as an emblem? What would that look like?
0: I'm not an artist, so it would just be a big L. It would
1: just be a big L that just stood, everybody would understand stands for loyalty. Loyalty. Giant capital L that stands for loyalty. Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned both a strength and a weakness as I think sometimes- they can be right. Our gifts can also be our biggest growing edges. What, what makes you say that though, with such conviction?
0: Well, you know, with loyalty, you'll stand by a person and, and trust them, which is a good thing to do. And, but sometimes you do that when it's detrimental to you. And sometimes, you know, people aren't the perfect creatures you want to, See the mess.
1: No, right. That's true.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and neither are we, right? No, I not- understand
0: <laughs> that. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, but to trust people and then they let you down, you know that, you know, because you didn't, you you thought that your loyalty to them covered everything and that they would give it back in return. Yeah. Wait a minute, just a second. I want to show you. Listen, do you see? look who's
1: here this. oh it's your cat gus, loyalty, right there. oh is that the dog was that
0: gus gus the dog yep yeah. gus yeah. came up to visit he wanted to be petted
1: uh, well talking about loyalty right you yeah. you uh you have that symbol i mean i'm surprised you didn't put a giant dog on your belly because there—that is
0: an idea i might do that. i think that's even a better idea right gus
1: we- wearing a little l l little little uh Collar with an l on it, yeah, for loyalty, because I mean, that is you've always been a dog person, and uh and 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 maybe that's part of why they they embody that sense of loyalty, but you're also right, like dogs with that dogs equally can be hurt by the people who mm-hmm. whom they trust to take care of them, mm-hmm. right and 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 then if they thankfully can get out of those environments right there's a process of relearning that that trust then with others because the act of being loyal is something that's so innate that that's not the part that's going to go away right it's you know it's this um this other side that has to happen but uh that's beautiful i'm glad gus came and said hello uh he uh he He's going through some hardships, yeah?
0: Not anymore.
1: He's all done.
0: He's all done. We thought, the vet thought he had cancer. Um, he had a spot on his mouth. Yeah. And uh, then he was scheduled for surgery. But Marlene was curious, too, because the spot kept getting smaller.
1: Which doesn't uh, happen with cancer. Which doesn't
0: happen. And so the vet did another test on it and said i don't see any cancer cells and now gus is all healed up and he didn't have to have surgery
1: that is nice that is yeah that's well i know that you were praying but you also had all of us praying so uh you know there there's the power of prayer at work right right visual power of prayer at work yes yes and he is your he is your uh companion So that you uh, don't have to ever, ever be uh, alone, which is nice as well. Uh, He's a constant for you. Uh, Thank you, Uncle Bruce, for spending this time with us.
0: I didn't know it would be as easy as it was.
1: We try not to make it hard. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Okay. Peace, blessings, and I love you. Bye-bye.